Hello and welcome to Social Justice Matters, a podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Colette Bennett and I'm Economic and Social Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. So as regular listeners will know by now, we have three different types of podcast. We have our interview series where we chat to a range of experts. And if you haven't already, I'd highly recommend that you check out particularly our our latest ones. Suzanne Rogers, my colleague, has been playing an absolute blinder talking to some fantastically interesting people. We also have our 10 minute lesson series where we give a brief overview in the range of about 10 minutes on a policy area, highlighting the points we think you need to know about. And then we have our seminar series. Today's episode is one of those. So on Tuesday, the 12th of October 2021, the Irish government announced its budget for 2022. At 11 o'clock the following morning, Social Justice Ireland launched our budget 2022 analysis and critique. And it's basically our analysis of what was contained in budget 2022, whether it was fair, what investments have been made, what revenues are being raised and what our thoughts are and what other options might have been available for it. We launched this on a webinar. So what follows in today's episode is essentially that. It is our webinar launching our budget response. So we hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. Um, Thank you so much for joining our webinar today for Budget 2022, our response. Um, Just um, our apologies and thank you so much for for waiting. Um, For those of you, we were slightly delayed in our kickoff time for 11 o'clock, the joys of modern technology. So thank you so much. For those of you who want to access the the budget document, uh, Budget 2022 analysis and critique, you can do so from our website, socialjustice.ie, um, and it should be available there for you now. We'll be running through some of the pages anyway. Um, so my name is Colette Bennett. I'm Economic and Social Analyst with Social Justice Ireland, and I am joined by my colleagues, uh, Dr. Sean Healy, CEO, Michelle Murphy, Research and Policy Analyst, and Suzanne Rogers, research and policy analyst. And we are gonna bring you through our response to yesterday's budget. So I'm gonna start with Sean. Good morning, everybody, and delighted to see so many people attending our webinar today. And hopefully it'll be worth your while. We've quite an amount of material that has not in effect been uh, analyzed yet, and that has not actually been um, presented in any way. So maybe some real surprises as well. Um, So, uh, first of all, I suppose our view is, as we come at the analysis, we feel that the the fundamental test for every government is whether, when it leaves office, those with the least in our society are in a better position than uh, when the government entered office. And Budget 2022 shows that this government's policy is not yet focused on achieving the objectives of reducing poverty and promoting social inclusion. The choices that government has made in Budget 22 will see the number of people in poverty grow. And now there are a number of reasons for this. And the first, uh, we have a number of reasons, I'll just enumerate them. The first one you might find very surprising, but it's actually factual and uh, uh, it shows what can happen if government isn't taking care and prioritizing the reduction of poverty and social exclusion. What we see is that as a result of this government's failure to focus on low to middle income people, households, in fact, with jobs, a couple with one earner earning 30,000 a year 
over the two budgets produced by this government, when you put them together, that household is going to be 39 cents a week better off than they were two years ago, before the government came to power. Even more devastating is the outcome for a household of four, with that's two adults and two children, one earner at 30,000 euro a year. And that household total benefit from two budgets put together, again, is 39 cents a week. Now, there's something profoundly wrong with that. We'll come back to that later. Um, a second reason for the failure, as we see it, uh, to, to deal with, uh, with poverty and to the, the, the lack of evidence for it, is the failure by government to raise so core social welfare rates by 10 euro a week, which means that many of the people who depend on these payments will fall further behind the rest of society during 2022. And thirdly, the adjustments in tax bans that government made yesterday in the budget will benefit middle and higher income people, but many on low incomes will see little or no gain as we have just seen. But a much fairer way of using the same money that was available for income tax reductions would have been to make tax credits refundable. That is a process which would have ensured the benefits went to the low paid and the working poor. Government chose not to do that. They chose instead to give it to middle to higher income people as a result, we've got this huge group in the middle um, earning uh, families with two, uh, with 30,000 euro, one earner benefiting by 39 cents a week after two budgets of this government. So as a result of budget 22, when you look more closely then across the whole income range, social welfare uh, recipients will see their incomes increase by five euro a week while a similar person with an income of 50,000 a year will take home an additional seven euro 96 a week. And couples with the same income, that's couples on welfare, will take home eight, eight, an, an increased eight euro 30. And uh, couples on 50,000 will be eight euro 92 a week better off. So while many of those with jobs will also receive a welcome pay increase in the coming year, it's important to kind of realize uh, that those depending on social welfare payments will fall further behind the rest of society. And there's quite an amount of material on this within uh, the, the, the document that we have produced. We'll cover some of it in more detail as we're going through in the next uh, while. But there's all the detail uh, that produced those kinds of results are, 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 can be looked at on our uh, analysis and critique document on our website as Colette has said. So I think there's what we're concluding is that the budget demonstrates a disappointing and worrying trajectory, revealing a government that is not focused on protecting Ireland's most vulnerable. Those on the lowest incomes, whether they're low paid or people on social welfare rates, these are being left behind, many of them are being left further behind than they were before. While there is some benefits, and we acknowledge this completely, for people who are poor and vulnerable, uh, there are not of a sufficient scale to even allow the weakest to stand still, now the mind stay, make progress in getting out of poverty. So instead, Ireland's 630,000 people living in poverty, more than a quarter of whom are children, uh, will be worse off in real terms in 2022 than they were in 2021. 
What this shows clearly is that there's no real strategy to tackle poverty and exclusion. The government's initiatives uh, to begin addressing the climate crisis and the housing shortage and the to reverse decades of underinvestment in our capital stock, these are all welcome approaches, inadequate in some cases, but they're moving in the right direction. However, there is no clear comprehensive strategy to tackle poverty, social exclusion and vulnerability. So while government can itemize which individual uh, national roads are to be built or upgraded, it has not even tried to outline a real and effective pathway towards reducing poverty and social exclusion. Its actions show, clearly show that government has failed to date to commit it to leaving nobody behind, and that is most regrettable. Now, government has claimed that an increase of five euro in the fuel allowance makes up for the lower uh, increase in core welfare rates, but that ignores the fact that lower, large numbers of poor people do not have access to the fuel allowance. They also point to the living alone allowance going up for older people, but less than half of old, older people live alone. So more than half of uh, older people don't qualify for that allowance at all. So I suppose Social Justice Ireland has argued for a long time that deeply divided two-tier societies are bad for business, they're bad for society, and they're bad for the environment. And Budget 2022 fails to address these deep divisions in our society and leaves the uh, poorest and weakest behind. Now, just to point out that Social Justice Ireland recognizes that poverty is never just about income, but it is always about income. Of course, there are other issues, the services, um, the infrastructure, all of the things and housing and health and uh, trans public transport and um, all the other various things that are that need to be addressed. But the critically critical core issue is about income. So we recognize that poverty is never just about income, but it's always about income. So what we have in effect is a lot of plans that government has, and we have commented on all of those plans as they have been published, uh, the housing plan and the national development plan and the forthcoming uh, climate implementation plan and so on. These are all very welcome. But uh, I think we regret that the kind that they're not kind of focused sufficiently, they're not adequately resourced, and the priorities within them are not sufficiently identified to make a serious impact. You will see in a moment uh, how the housing budget, for example, is not nearly enough uh, uh, to actually deal with the shortfall in social housing provision either this year or any time into the future, given the actual targets that are being set in Housing for All. So um, we have limited progress on climate. Uh, we have some issues around sustainability, environment and climate generally. However, there was no progress on tackling things like environmentally, environmentally damaging subsidies that were highlighted by the CSO for government. Um, a lot of the choices in tax were regressive, uh, on income tax, uh, the choices made were very regressive, as low-income workers were again ignored. That's what we've just been seeing. But basically, Budget 22 failed to expand the tax base or the total revenue coming from all sources on the scale, to the scale required. An interesting thing, well-being was not prioritized. There is a lot of rhetoric about doing something around well-being, but they have been sitting now on a report uh, which is published, and we, we've seen that, and it is referred to in the budget documentation, 
But the, the bottom line is the budget is not being uh, framed in the context of a well-being framework. Uh, one final point uh, in sort of our overall view of the budget that needs to be uh, looked at, and that is why is government hiding facts again? Now, what? The government is hiding facts? Yes. Uh, not for the first time in recent years. Uh, Social Justice Ireland has to point out that despite the fact that we're living in this really advanced digital age where we have access to so much information, we used to get more information in the budget documentation 20 years ago than we do today. In fact, we got more information in last year's budget than in this year's, because there is a core table in last year's budget uh, that said that this is exactly, these are the core changes that were made in the budget and show the numbers and so on. And very interestingly, this year, that table has been removed. One of the first things we did yesterday when we got the budget documentation was we contacted the Department of Finance to say, have you put this somewhere else? Or do we have to sort of work out all this kind of stuff ourselves by doing going through the numbers? Or have you actually gathered the data together, which you should do, given that you've had weeks to prepare it? So uh, they said they wouldn't take any oral questions. We had to put it in writing. So um, at about the before three o'clock yesterday, I sent an email to the Department of Finance uh, setting out this, and they promised me they would uh, respond to it immediately. Well, I'm still waiting. I haven't heard from them since. So, moving along, uh, if you look, want, the, we have a number of, uh, uh, if you're following uh, our response to the budget, I'm on page three. Um, there are a number of stories there. We, re we have a number of regrets on the welfare package, particularly the failure uh, to either benchmark social welfare at 27.5% of average earnings, which we've been arguing out with for a while, that would have brought it back to where it, it was uh, in 2007. We've regressed from there, and uh, even the increase of €5 Euro, uh, leaves a bigger gap still to be bridged. Uh, it, it goes nowhere near what is required to benchmark social welfare. So there's a quite serious regret in that space. Another regret that we have is that the minimum corporate tax rate um, is, is uh, sorry, the tax take isn't sufficient, but we welcome the minimum effective corporate tax rate. It's overdue. It's welcome. We've been arguing for it for years. Eventually, the government has been dragged reluctantly into doing it, going with it. We welcome that. We think it should apply to all corporations. Remember, that's a, that a tax rate is only applied to the profits of a uh, transnational, not about our corporate uh, body. It's not uh, applied to their turnover, which is the difference, we'll say, with somebody who's on the PAYE system, like most of the people of you watching at the moment. You pay PAYE on your all your income, not just on the, that piece that's out there uh, if, when you have that that you've left over when all your bills are paid, which like would be your profit in inverted commas. So I think we have to uh, see, see an expansion of the minimum corporate tax rate. We, we welcome it as far as it's gone, but it's got a distance to go. The second thing in there, of course, is that the, 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 the sheer um, total tax take is not sufficient uh, for a Western European economy and society uh, uh, 20 years into the 21st century. Um, we acknowledge very strongly that, of course, there's uncertainty going with the pandemic and with the recovery to follow it. We think government is moving generally in the right direction. 
it has reserve funds, quite substantial reserve funds uh, put aside in case there's further uh, negative uh, pandemic issues that emerge. Um, and I think what they have done in the fiscal policy area is the right direction. Unfortunately, I don't think that it's on the scale required to deal with many of the problems that were there and the challenges that Ireland faced before uh, the arrival of the uh, pandemic in, uh, at the start or early in 2020. And then uh, an interesting thing uh, on healthcare, if you're moving on to page four of our response, very interesting given the fact that for years we have been in our editorial at the start of our analysis and critique, we have been very critical of the budget uh, in, in the Department of Finance because for year after year, it didn't actually provide sufficient resource to maintain the, uh, uh, the actual uh, level of service, the existing level of service, ELS as it's known in the system. And then it didn't provide enough money to do that and to pay for the new initiatives that were agreed and announced on the day. Now we see a totally different situation. There is sufficient money there. Not alone that, we welcome especially the progress to fully fund the community health networks and the whole community care structure and the rollout of that. And we see steps being taken to deal with uh, trolleys, to deal with waiting lists and so on. There's some distance to go, but it's a, a positive outcome in a, in a space where we be previously uh, were uh, struggling, if you like. Now, the, just in, at the, in the center of our publication, that's on pages 12 and 13, we have these two kind of, this illustration on one page, uh, we show the government's sources of revenue for the budget in billions of euro. And on the page opposite, we show you how the government spent or proposes to spend that money in 2022. And I'm not gonna go through the packages, you can look at them there, but they just summarize, you know, the, for example, the, the the year-on-year -year revenue changes. In other words, uh, how much more money is going to come in on income tax, 4.8 billion. On corporation tax, 1.1 billion. These are the Department of Finance's forecasts. They're all there on page 12. And then how's this money going to be spent? Um, an additional 400 million on social protection, an additional 1.2 billion on health, an additional billion on education and debt servicing, 100 million extra. And there's a lot of others, all of it there in the illustration on page 13. And with that, I think I'm handing back to Colette to take us further along the route of our analysis and critique of budget 2022. Thank you very much, Sean. Um, so once again, I have the wonderful and very interesting job of bringing people through the, the tax packages um, and the tax aspects of uh, Budget 2022. So I'm going to start this analysis by referring to page six, which shows the, the graphs that are there. And just to give some explanation in relation to that. Now, as Sean has already said, there's a huge amount of information in this document. Um, so please do, if you have any questions, please do send them in through the Q&A function um, or through the chat function, and we'll be picking them up at the end of our presentation.
So just to look at chart 6.1 there, if you see the impact of income tax and the headline welfare payment changes for the budget, um, you can see single people who are unemployed will benefit from the weekly increase from March and the Christmas bonus increase, which equates to a, a five euro a week. Um, that's 260 euro a year. Those on 25,000 a year will see an increase of two euro and 21 cent a week or 115 euro a year. Um, and those on 50,000 will be €7.96 better off um, every week or €415 Euro per year. Uh, again, then those on the higher income, 75,000 will be €7.96 um, also. Couples then with one income, those on 25,000 a year will be €1.25 better off uh, per week, so €65 Euro a year. Um, those on 50,000 will be €8.92 a week or four. 465 euro a year better off. Couples with two incomes on 75,000 a year will be 15 euro 91 a week better off or 830 euro a year, while those on 100,000 euro will be 15 euro 91 cent a week or 830 euro per year better off in the coming year. Um, so some low income earners may also benefit from the increase in the minimum wage and that that's not factored into these calculations. Um, but certainly you can see where the gaps arise. And there is a really interesting piece in relation to this chart on 6.1, where you see, you know, there are some improvements for those who are unemployed. There's improvements for those earning 25,000 plus. But then there is a huge number of people who are earning that that 15,000 rate that are no better off from this budget. Um, at all. So it's it's certainly something that, that needs to be addressed. And as Sean said, there are plenty of people who unfortunately have been left behind with budget 2022. Uh, then just looking in relation to the, the table and chart 6.2 on the same page. So again, that's page six. Um, you can see, for example, looking at the effective tax rates following various different budgets. In, in 2022, for a single person um, with an income of 25,000, the effective tax rate will be 12%, um, rising to 19.8% at an income of 40,000 and 40.4% at an income of 120,000. Um, a single income couple would have an effective rate of 5.3% at an income of 25,000, rising to 10% at an income of 40,000 and 20.9% at an income of 60,000 and 36.1% on 120,000 per annum. Um, in the case of a couple where both are earning and their combined income is 40,000, their effective rate will be 7% rising to 29.6 for combined earnings of 120,000. So as you can see there, despite increases during re recent economic crises, um, these effective tax rates have, have decreased considerably over the past two decades. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's really, again, just something that, that we need to be very conscious of when we're, we're considering the impact of budget 2022 and its fairness across um, all income types in terms of those who are unemployed. A lot have been made of the, the five euro budget. Um, but certainly when we, we start talking about effective tax rates, there's still a, a huge amount of, of work to be done. Um, as Sean also said in his his piece just there, Ireland's overall tax take remains inadequate. And there's a, a piece in relation to that on, on page seven as well. We have been advocating uh, for a very long time to broaden the tax base and to increase Ireland's tax take. And in fact, um, our proposal was that we should have a level of taxation 
equivalent to 15,000 per capita in 2017 terms. Um, and that should increase then each year in line with growth in GNI star. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's disappointing that that has not been taken on board for budget 2022. And in fact, that there has been kind of more tinkering around the edges than real tax shifts. Um, moving on then to page eight, and we look at the impact of tax and the benefit changes um, from the years 2020 to 2022. So again, this marks the second budget of the current government. Um, and, you know, we're looking at the cumulative impact of changes to income taxation and welfare uh, over these these budgets. Um, at the outset, it's important to stress that our analysis doesn't take uh, account of other budgetary changes, um, you know, things like VAT changes and, and property taxes. Um, however, certainly when you look at charts 8.1 and 8.2, um, it gives a very clear uh, in view of, of the changes that have been made both for welfare dependent households. Um, so with couples with two children having a, that, that higher change proportionately um, and then in terms of the overall impact on households with jobs. Um, so in, in terms of, of couples, particularly those uh, one earner couples with two children, as Sean has said, you can very, very clearly see it um, in chart 8.2 on this page, page eight. Uh, they have had the, the princely sum over the last two budgets of 39 cent. Um, so their, their couples with two children uh, are where one partner earns 30,000 and it's a similar for one partner uh, with a couple with no children. Um, so this is something that desperately needs to be addressed in subsequent budgets. Moving on then, and but staying with the theme of, of taxation, we go to page 10 and we look at, I suppose, you know, the tax package for budget 2022. So what did it actually do? Um, so, you know, we've, we've already said how important it is. We've seen in terms of the, the charts that are in the middle of the document, um, how, how reliant in terms of, of the various different taxes we are. So in budget 2022, in terms of income tax, there was an increase in the personal tax credit the PAYE tax credit and the earned income tax credit by 50 euro to 1700 euro. Uh, there was an increase in the standard rate band by um, 1500 euro to 36,800 for a single person and 45,800 for a married couple. Um, uh, there's a, a, an allowed relief of 30% on certain vouched expenses as well. So the full year cost of the income tax changes there are 608 million. Um, in terms of the USC, we saw that there was an increase in the 2% ceiling band to 21,295 at a cost of 26 million. In terms of uh, employers PRSI, there was an increased weekly income threshold at the higher rate of 410 euro so the full year cost there is 12 year or sorry is 12.5 million um we saw a, a fair bit in re of rhetoric i suppose in relation to what is being done on housing so the the help to buy scheme unfortunately um was was increased uh or sorry was extended to 2022 that was was due to to finish up at the end of this year um, and there was an extension of the relief for pre-letting expenses for landlords for for three years um, so the full year cost of the housing measures there were 86 million and I, I know my colleague Suzanne will talk more in relation to, to housing there on climate and environmental taxes something that desperately needs to be addressed um, and, and quite urgently um, as as Minister Donoghue said yesterday 
you know, we are, that the world is on fire. Uh, we need an emergency response and part of that response is through taxation. Um, so we welcome the, the confirmed increase in carbon tax of the, the promised 700 or sorry, 750 per ton uh, to 41 euro. Um, there's been a revised table of ERT for vehicles, extended the relief for electric vehicles for two years, introduced a tax disregard for income from microgeneration of electricity and the full year yield from climate measures will be 229 million and my colleague Michelle will talk about sustainability and climate a little bit later on um, and then in terms of the enterprise SMEs and agri sector and I know we have some some comments in relation to that in, in the chat um, there, there was an amended taxation for international flight crew extended employment investment incentive extended stock relief to 2024 uh, discrete a decreased farmers flat rate uh, addition for VAT and it extended the young trained farmer stamp duty relief for 2022. Uh, we saw again um, cigarettes go up by 50 cent for a packet of 20 um, and the bank levy was continued for 2022 but obviously with the exit of Ulster Bank and KBC they have now been excluded from that levy. So in terms of our response uh, we, we welcome the increase in, in the tax credits and the adjustments to the 2% ceiling band to accommodate that increase in the national minimum wage. Um, we welcome the fact that, you know, there's confirmation that the, the carbon tax increase is going ahead this year um, and that Ireland will join with many other countries in relation to the corporation tax of 15% for larger com companies. Um, However, we do regret that the budget didn't acknowledge that our tax take is still too low. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's not supporting our long term economic or societal growth, let alone our, our environmental ambitions. Um, we regret that, you know, the extension of the 15% rate to all companies um, instead, you know, most companies will continue with the 12.5% because it, it only applies to those very, very large countries or companies and we fail to see any real justification for this. Um, you know, we, we regretted that uh, a phased introduction of, of a minimum effective rate of corporation tax of 6% with a, a move to 10% was not phased in in budget 2022. Um, nor did the budget reform the R&D tax credit um, or standard rate all tax expenditures, particularly in relation to those um, for pension contributions. Um, we regret that the it didn't introduce a refundable tax credit system for low income workers, um, particularly in terms of the, the working poor. And many opportunities were really missed in relation to the, the acceleration of much needed uh, additional housing. So that includes, you know, the early implementation of a, a real site value tax on underdeveloped land, uh, the imposition of of a levy on empty houses, the, the introduction of the, the windfall gains tax um, at 80%, which we have been calling for for quite some time, uh, the restoration of the, the MPP or the non-principal private residence tax on second homes, um, the introduction of the proposed zoned land tax, uh, it'll be very, very slow. I and mean, even when it's introduced, it's at a very low rate of, of 3%. And you know the fact that it has it's now replacing the vacant site levy creates this really unusual position um, that unzoned land, which is suitable for residential development, won't be subject to any tax-based incentives to actually develop out that, that land. So moving on then from taxation to page 15 on work, unemployment 
and job creation. So, you know, there, there again, there was a, a kind of package, but in, in the context of what has happened, what has gone before in the last 18, almost 20 months in relation to the pandemic and the, the huge impact that it has had on employment and on unemployment shifts, and particularly in relation to youth unemployment. Um, the budget did extend the employment wage subsidy scheme until April of next year, and it'll remain open to new employers until January. Um, it made an additional 34 million for apprenticeships, including uh, off-the-job training places for 7,000 apprentices. It introduced a new employer grant for apprentices. It expanded and extended the Employment Investment Initiative by 10 million, expanded the warehousing of tax liabilities to allow self-assessed income taxpayers um, to warehouse income tax liabilities. It extended the reliefs for certain startup companies, um, made but unfortunately made no move to make tax credits refundable for, for low-income workers. Um, and in terms of, I suppose, our response to that, there are, there are things that we have welcomed. So obviously we welcome the increase in the national minimum wage, um, but unfortunately that 30 cent per hour to 10 euro 50 is not keeping pace with either the change or the actual amount of the living wage. So the living wage increased this year for 2021-2022 uh, by 50 cent to 12 euro 90, whereas the, the new national minimum wage will be 10 euro 50. So there's still a ways to go there. Uh, we do welcome the increase in the apprenticeships and the on-the-job training places. Uh, the minister referenced yesterday 115,000 employees um, who moved from the pandemic unemployment payment, the PUP, onto different sectors than they were previously employed in. And these people will need to be trained. They'll need to be upskilled, um, you know, and, and that requires investment. Uh, we welcome the improvements that were made in the childcare sector to support parents, particularly women, returning to the workforce. However, we regret that the levels there um, were not, the, the level of investment wasn't what was required. Um, and we, we do regret again that, you know, it doesn't adequately resource the upskilling who are of those who are unemployed and long-term unemployed in particular. Um, it doesn't adopt sufficient policies to address the worrying issue of youth unemployment, which we know is set to grow to be a, a huge issue um, in the years to come. Um, it didn't explicitly expand the, the age profile in relation to the the apprenticeships and the training for those who need to reskill and upskill. Um, it didn't recognize the, the challenges of the long-term unemployment and precarious unemployment in particular, and you know, implement real targeted policies to address that. And unfortunately, um, it didn't resource policies to address the obstacles that face women as they return to the labor market. Um, and just, I suppose, very briefly on page nine, I'm just going to go through the, the top section there in terms of minimum wage and low pay. As I said, um, there is some ways to go to for the minimum wage, the improved minimum wage of €10.50 to reach the living wage of €12.90. And while we welcome any increase in the minimum wage, uh, we are still calling for government to, to set in motion a strategy of reaching that, live, that living wage level. Um, 
We also welcome in Budget 2022 the announcement of an allocation of 25 million to fund a pilot basic income guarantee scheme for artists. And we need to be really clear on what this is and what it isn't. So a, a pilot basic income guarantee is not a universal basic income pilot, uh, as was promised in the programme for government. What we have seen with the proposal in the Pathways to Work document, the strategy that was published uh, during the summer, is a a guarantee based on the working family payment. This is not under anybody's definition a basic income. Um, it, it is it is inextricably tied with the welfare system rather than being put through the revenue system, which is a, a, a much fairer way of doing things. And it comes as does the working family payment or formerly known as FIS. Um, it comes with strings attached. So again, you know, we look very much look forward to, to working with government in relation to the shaping of a pilot in relation to universal basic income in the years to come. Um, and then just moving on then to page 17 in relation to public finances and overseas aid. So you can see there in terms of the public finances section, and I don't propose, as you'll be pleased to know, I'm sure, to go through every single piece. Um, but it's, it's really just a picture of, of the budget from 2020, 2021 and 2022. Um, but I do want to draw your attention in relation to the overseas aid. So again, much was made in the press release of the Department of Foreign Affairs yesterday of an increase of 140 million um, in ODA, Overseas Development Assistance, to over a billion euros. So 1.044 billion in budget 2022. And we absolutely welcome that. Ireland has a, a very good track record in relation to our, our ODA. And this new increase, this new amount, uh, raises our proportion in relation to ODA of to 0.43% uh, of GNI star. So up on 2021, where it was 0.42%. Now we still have a way to go before we get to 0.7% uh, or uh, yeah, 0.7%, which is our, our UN 2030 target. Um, so, you know, there is there is much more to be done in relation to the next number of years. However, we have stayed on a very good and very positive trajectory in relation to that, and that is very, very welcome. Uh, what is less welcome, unfortunately, is in relation to what we are doing on, on our climate finance obligations. Uh, so again, Budget 2022, the documentation in relation to that, recommitted um, to doubling our contribution to uh, climate finance. However, a recent report in relation to that suggests that even if we double it, we'll still only reach 26% of our actual contribution, of the contribution that we should be making. So we need to make positive improvements in relation to that, in addition to what we're doing, uh, the very good work that we're doing on ODA. Um, and then finally, you know, we, we also support the call for the permanent cancellation of, of external debt payments due from developing countries. So with no penalties, um, so that those countries can really get back on their their feet um, and then finally for me and i'm certainly not going to go through every uh piece here but just for to direct yourselves to see where it is um pages 20 and 21 give a socio-economic context of budget 2022 so there's a number of 
of key numbers here in relation to the population in which this this budget is set so this is your your context the the income numbers the poverty numbers the inequality data the housing and homelessness the labor market and social welfare with the changes included um, and then just setting out some key numbers some data and some trends from the actual budget documentation itself there on page 21. And with that, I am going to pass you to my colleague Suzanne Rogers to discuss healthcare, which begins on page 16. Thanks, Colette. Again, I suppose just to echo my colleagues, I will just be picking highlights from this. So those of you who are working through the document with us, I'll be on page 16. And again, to echo previous sentiments, we would encourage that everybody would download this and go through it. So the context, I suppose, in terms of healthcare for budget 2022, we were already in a mismanaged health system, which was really highlighted by the pandemic. We had older people and people in disadvantaged communities who were being disproportionately affected. Our health system ranks 22nd out of 35 countries in a 2019 health consumer powerhouse report. And on the issue of accessibility, it ranked the worst. We have more than 900,000 people on waiting lists as of July of this year. The occupancy rate for acute care hospital beds is 20 percentage points higher than the OECD average. And people with low incomes are less likely to see a doctor because access to preventative services is concentrated amongst the better off. So that's where we're sitting. So budget 22 then allocated 22.2 billion in both current and capital spending with a further 0.2 billion being held in reserve. So. The allocation for the current expenditure out of that was 21.1 billion. And again, this would include 177 million for looking at demographic changes, which is really, really, really important as, as we age, as our demographic changes. I think it's really important that we, we were, I suppose, acknowledging that. We've another 100, sorry, 750 million then for additional COVID-19 measures which would include 500 million for testing and tracing the vaccination program ppe additional 200 million then to the hsc and 50 million to the national treatment purchase fund again to address the waiting list that sean has already touched on um, and uh, to fund additional activity in the public and private sectors we have 31 million then for women's health investments which would include free contraception for women aged between 17 and 25 and funding a national maternity strategy to support the recruitment of additional consultants and midwives. We had 55 million for disability services to expand um, and pro progress the disability services for children and young people program to tackle the waiting lists and therapy services to fund services for the 1700 school leavers in 2022 to increase respite houses and progress decongregation for people living in nursing homes or for people living in nursing homes who shouldn't be living in nursing homes, I suppose, is, is probably more um, the important point there. So our response to all of this, we would welcome many of these initiatives, including, again, the commitment to implement this launch of care implementation strategy and action plan 21 to 23. We welcome the 55 million for disability services, again, including the focus on that inappropriate placing of children with disabilities in nursing homes and the investments then in residential respite and personal assistance services. However, we do note that this is a significant drop from the 100 million which was provided for in 2021. And we're disappointed that there's no specific provision 
has been made for a multi-annual funded plan to meet the state's commitments under the UN Convention of the Rights of People with Disabilities. We welcome the 24 additional million for mental health measures. We welcome the reduced drugs payment scheme threshold. And again, we've long argued for a more community-based approach and we acknowledge the commitment to progressing community healthcare networks and enhancing community care. However, we are concerned that specific funding has not been identified. So again, there's a lot more on that. I would encourage everybody to go back and have a good read through. And again, for those who are following us, we're going to go on to page five, which is housing, which, you know, is, is, is still a hot topic. Um, the budget 22 document followed hot on the heels of the housing for all plan. And our analysis of housing for all really showed that it doesn't recognize the true scale of the housing crisis and the true scale of the housing need. And budget 2022 then seems to fall even further behind that. So the commitment in the plan is to build 33,000 new homes every year with 90,000 social homes over the period 2021 to 2030. So if we look behind these numbers, we can simply see that they're not, they're just not adequate. So even if these homes are built, which obviously we hope that they are, they still won't satisfy pent up demand, current demand, future demand. So there's a real lack of ambition here in terms of the scale. Um, and again, there's a reliance in the budget on acquisitions, there's a reliance in the budget on housing assistance payment, there's a reliance in the budget on um, the RAS scheme as well. So again, these, you know, these aren't adding social homes to the social housing stock. And we have always advocated that our overall figures need to rise to at least 20% of the overall housing stock should be um, social housing stock. Homelessness wasn't tackled. Um, and again, it, it seems to be about the delivery of homelessness services, the provision of emergency accommodation. Budget 2022 commits 194 million for this. There's no real mention of housing homelessness prevention, excuse me. Um, there's other, uh, so I suppose, yeah, to provide services for other homeless households and the supports needed to exit homelessness. A further 10 million in COVID-19 funding was earmarked in Budget 2022 to consolidate improvements for health services for people who are homeless, which is to be welcomed. The budget contained nothing in support of those in the private rented sector, which I think was, um, I suppose, a shame because it's from this sector that households have been entering homelessness over the last couple of years. So much could have been done to prevent the loss of housing by in the introduction of increased tenant protections. Affordability wasn't tackled. And again, I know Colette has mentioned it, but we have advocated against the help to buy scheme since it was introduced in 2017 as we believe that it would artificially maintain high house prices. And a recent analysis we've done has shown that not only has Help to Buy disproportionately benefited purchasers buying higher value properties, but that this support is actually contributing to the affordability crisis. So it is regrettable that that was continued out through 2022. The removal of the Help to Buy scheme would have saved the Exchequer 144 million in 2022, and this money we feel could have been much better spent on delivering truly affordable housing. I will move on then to page nine, and we'll just again look there at older people. In 2019, more than 10% of people aged 65 and over lived below the poverty line, which is 74,500 people whilst almost 80,000 people were identified as experiencing enforced deprivation. 
In order to age well at home, the home must be secure and fit for purpose. So although Budget 22 made some moves, such as increasing the fuel allowance and increasing social welfare pension, it has taken limited steps to begin planning for the future health and care needs of this group. An opportunity to resource and implement the long-awaited statutory right to home care was regrettably missed, as too was the restoration of the home adaptation grants to 2010 levels and a substantial increase in funding for the HSC national safeguarding teams. We are growing older as a population and policy really needs to keep up with this. And again, we're sticking with page nine. We're just going to touch on um, those living with disabilities. According to the most recent census, one in every seven people in Ireland lives with a disability. That's over 640,000 people. People with a disability are more likely to finish school at an earlier age and are less likely to be in employment than those without a disability. So consequently, then rates of poverty in this group are higher. In 2019, over 41% of people living with a disability were living on an income below the poverty line, which compares to 12.8% of the general population. So disability services, including respite and personal assistance services, have not recovered from cuts made during the last economic crash. And regrettably to date, the ratification of the um, UNCRPD has meant little in real policy terms. We welcome the 65 million disability, disability health services in Budget 22 and some small increases in welfare supports, but it is regrettable that the budget failed to fund the restoration of services, to introduce a cost of disability payment and to adequately increase the carer's allowance. And again, if you're sticking with me, we're going to move on to page 23 and I'll wrap up with this then. So we're just looking at communities and the PPNs. So the public participation networks are really are a touchstone for governmental initiatives requiring community engagement and they are ideally placed within communities and we really saw that during the COVID-19 pandemic. So in Budget 2022 there is a commitment to strengthen the local participation through the provision of sports for the PPNs and the local community development committees but there's a lack of further detail. And they're going to suppose of interest to the PPNs and their members and the wider communities that they operate in. There is additional allocations for programs, 4 million for SICAP, there's 5 million allocated for small capital grants for the upgrade of local community centres, with a further 0.8 million allocated for the community and voluntary sector. There's a lot of figures on that page as well, I'm not going to go through them. But again, they're there on page 23 if anybody wants to go through them. And I will pass then over to my colleague, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you, Suzanne. And uh, so I'm going to look at education now, which is on page 11. So I'm just going to briefly go, go through this. Um, I suppose the context of the budget was the demographic pressures at all levels that we've been consistently pointing out, the need to mitigate the long-term impact of the COVID-induced learning loss and the need to invest in skills development and lifelong learning to meet the challenges of digitization and climate change. Now, in terms of the budget, uh, in terms of the budget for the Department of Education itself, at um, an additional 250 teachers at primary level to reduce the pupil-teacher ratio, over 1,100 additional SNAs and 980 additional special needs teachers. And the DESH programme was expanded to additional schools and pupils. Then for the Department of Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science, there was a 200 euro increase in the maintenance grant. 
funding for pilot initiatives for PATH, the Programme for Access to Higher Education, and in sports for skills development, including, as Colette mentioned, 6,000 skill net places, green modules for 35,000 learners, additional apprenticeship places, and a abolition of the PLC levy. Now, in terms of responding to the budget, for a start, it was a little challenging because in terms of the Department of Education itself, there was very little detail available. I know they were having their conference today, but, but I suppose for while the additional posts in terms of special education teachers, SNAs and uh, teachers at primary level are welcome, I suppose it's important for us that not only do they deal with the pressures in terms of demographics, but also address some of the challenges within the system in terms of underinvestment and really reducing class sizes overall because our class sizes are high in European terms. In terms of the special needs budget, I suppose it's been heralded as the biggest investment in special needs education. The investment is welcome, but it's really, really important that this investment addresses the challenges that were already there for families trying to find places for their children within the school system provides the supports and services for schools to enable them to provide more places for children and to make sure that children don't have to travel too far to access their right to education. Uh, we welcome the expansion to DESH, as I mentioned. It's something we've advocated for over many years. In terms of higher level, we welcome the additional funding uh, for skills development and training. As Colette said, we do regret the age profile was not expanded and that there wasn't a more targeted regional approach, approach in terms of green skills, something that we proposed, and neither was there a real focus on NEETS, that, that group of young people who are, who are incredibly vulnerable. There was a welcome commitment to adult literacy, but again, there was no detail in terms of the funding. and. To, you know, to really reach the ambition of the, the new strategy, you're looking at a minimum of, of 25 million euro per annum until 2027 for that investment. Now, I'm going to move on to the social protection budget next, which is on page 14. I suppose this budget is framed in terms of, as Sean mentioned and Suzanne, the, the persistently high levels of poverty, 12.8% of the population, and the group most likely to be in poverty are children. In terms of the budget, social welfare rates, primary rates were increased by five euros the first time in two years. Uh, there was adjusted weekly increases for qualified children. The pension was increased for five euros. The living alone allowance by three euros and the fuel allowance payment increased by 140 euros. There was changes to the income thresholds for the working, fam working family payment, an increase to the back to school clothing and footwear allowance, an extension of the hot school meals programme and an extension of the National Childcare Scheme and an increase in the earnings limit for the disability allowance. However, in terms of responding to it, while we welcome the five euro increase, uh, we, we ask government to commit to benchmarking social welfare rates to 27.5% of average earnings in this budget. They didn't, we, and in order to meet this benchmark, we asked them to increase social welfare rates by 10 euros in budget 2022 and 10 euros in budget 2023. While we welcome the full five euro for young job seekers, the rates were still not equalised and that's a real concern for us. There was no progress in the universal state pension. As Sean mentioned, uh, a large portion of people are not entitled to the fuel allowance. And in terms of direct provision, while there was money allocated for the, the implementation of the, the day report, um, we really, I suppose, regret that we proposed an increase in payments for children and direct provision, and th this wasn't implemented in the budget. And there was a real opportunity there to do something for, for these children who are in a very, very vulnerable position. And neither was there any progress in the cost of disability payment. 
and so we further concern there. Pages 18 and 19 give you the breakdown of the social welfare rates, so the present rate, the new rate, and what change, if any, took place in the budget. So I suppose it's just a handy two pages to have to look at to see to see what changes have been made. Then in terms of, the, the as Sean pointed out, uh, the budget failed to really you know, provide any strategy to look at addressing the challenge of poverty and inequality. And what the past 18 months have shown us is that there's a whole new group of people who've had to get used to living life on a very low income. And there's still very uncertain opportunities for that cohort of people as the PU payment, PUP payment winds down. But they've just been introduced to the reality of life for 630,000 people in this country of living on a very low income on a daily basis the limits that brings in terms of your options and opportunities and how challenging it is to deal with the trade-offs of living life on a low income. So it's it's disappointing for us that core social welfare rates weren't increased by 10 euros in the budget and there wasn't a, a real strategy or plan to meet our own modest targets on poverty and social inclusion set out in the roadmap for social inclusion. Moving on then to sustainability and environment. So this is on page nine. So there were some welcome measures in the budget, the reduced transport fares for young people, for example, the use of carbon tax revenue to fund residential and community retrofit schemes and the 109 million focused on households who are in or at risk of fuel poverty. Uh, we welcome the allocation to the circular economy and you know, this really should be used to embed those principles within all economic policy and within our social environmental policies. But I suppose some big ticket items were, were missed here for, for really ambitious reforms. So there was no move to introduce a, a, a levy on single-use coffee cups, to introduce a deposit and return scheme, for example. We didn't reorganise the PSO levy as a, a, an initial attempt to begin to address the impact of data centres on energy consumption, which has been headline grabbing in recent weeks. We failed to take the opportunity to introduce a commercial air transport tax. I mean, every sector is making a contribution and a lot is made of this, the, the contribution the agriculture sector needs to make. But yet again, the aviation sector is a free pass here because um, jet kerosene is not subject to any tax. So that's, that's really disappointing because it's important that we make sectoral changes, not just individual changes when it comes to, to a just transition. And finally, there was no move on addressing the uh, tax subsidies and tax expenditures, which are potentially hard, environmentally damaging. They equated to about 2.8 billion, billion euro in 2018. This could make a real difference it was, if it would have invested in energy poverty, retrofitting, uh, improving the national grid, for example. And we, we go through the SDGs and sustainability also on page 23, outlining our sustainable progress index. And I suppose making the point again that the well-being framework you know, hasn't really been been embedded into the budget and the SDGs also obviously form a core part of that. And finally then, from myself on page 22, we have to acknowledge progress on policy where it is made. So th there's a series of issues here, some have already been touched on. Uh, the carbon, corporate taxation, for example, the progress on the pupil-teacher ratio is welcome and we've consistently advocated for this and reduced class sizes. Progress on a maintenance grant is welcome. Uh, certainly it needs to increase more and to be expanded to part-time students, but progress has been made. In terms of retrofitting as well, progress is being made and progress is being made on ODA. So it's important to acknowledge it as it comes and obviously we will continue to highlight areas where progress isn't being made. I'm going to pass back over to Sean now to wind up. Okay, so thanks, Michelle. And um, 
having looked at some things that were happening and acknowledged uh, that there is progress on policy proposals we've made across a range of section sectors and there's more of them on page 22 as Michelle pointed out but there are also areas that are being forgotten and we've highlighted one already that well not one but many uh, but particularly that issue of people on 30,000 and they're about saying of low to middle income people um, with one earner in the home who seem to be losing out dramatically but there's also other groups, for example, young people. Now, there was one or two initiatives there, um, particularly that would help students, for example, and so on. But the challenges that young people face were not given sufficient attention, we would think, in Budget 22. Uh, government chose not to complete the equalization of the job seekers rates for all those under 25, for example. And it should go to the rate of those 25 and over. And just to, to make the point that um, the amount required for an unemployed young adult living in the family home to achieve the minimum essential standard of living as set out by the Vincentian Partnership for Social Justice is that what their calculation is 153 euro a week is required. But this is almost a, one and a half times the job seekers allowance payment for an 18 to 24 year old at present. Uh, also, young people have already been priced out of the housing market and the budget contain no measure that will alleviate uh, the pressures on students and their families as they try to find student accommodation, for example, just a different one. Another area that hasn't maybe got the, the support that it should have, although there was some there, is childcare. Um, families struggling with the high cost of childcare will find little comfort from the measures announced in the budget. Whilst additional funding is welcome in a sector that is severely underfunded, the measures provided for will not reduce fees for families and they will deliver uh, they won't deliver a living wage for child for all childcare workers and they will not support services provided to deliver additional childcare places and won't ensure the availability of quality accessible and affordable childcare for families which at the end of the day is the critical issue and i think the the need for joined up thinking here uh, is very important because Part of the budget was lauding the fact that there would be a substantial growth in jobs uh, in the coming year. And that's always obviously welcome, as long as they, they pay decent wages and so on. But a lot of people are going to be under severe pressure to be able to deal with that uh, situation um, and the opportunities it provides if they can't afford childcare or if they can't even get access to childcare in the first place because we don't have a real national a program that would ensure adequate childcare, sufficient childcare, and we're talking about quality childcare here, obviously, uh, that it won't be available. So another area that um, where, where Budget 22 failed to provide the targeted resources necessary is in regional recovery. We've been arguing for quite a while that there's a growing division at a regional level in Ireland, and it's important to recognize that regional and rural Ireland um, require uh, resources and that the necessary resources were not put in place to support rural areas and the regions to deal with the challenges of Brexit, which are very real. The, 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 the challenges of COVID, of course, that are also real, real and the challenges being uh, presented to them because of the climate change crisis. Um, so neither did it address the challenges that predate the pandemic, like uh, the regional regions in Ireland have higher rates of part-time employment. They have 
lower median incomes, their poverty rates are above the national level, and there's a greatest, greater distance that people have to travel for everyday services. These are just some of the challenges that, are, that they face. So remote, remote working is another uh, issue. Um, we've seen in, in, during COVID a lot, a lot of focus on remote working, working from home and so on, and um, working from outside the cities. But that presents an opportunity to reinvigorate rural uh, communities, but in order for government strategies like our rural future and making remote uh, work uh, to be successful, the supporting infrastructure must be put in place. And while we welcome the 225 million to continue the rollout of the national broadband plan, a focus on the shared services and infrastructure that remote working hubs require was missing from the budget. So we in, in Social Justice Ireland proposed a regional recovery investment package of over half a billion euro focused on seven priority areas which would help to build sustainable, thriving rural communities. Now, our proposals targeted improving and expanding public services, the rollout of remote working hubs, regional economic development and skills development. And overall, the measures in budget 2022 are insufficient to meet the challenges that rural areas face. And we regret that budget 22 did not resource a major regional development and transition program focused on adapting not only to COVID-19 and the impact of Brexit, but also taking on the challenges to rural and regional economies of reducing emissions and uh, adapting to new technologies. Such a program would have ensured that sufficient investment was made in public services, and in particular broadband, which is crucial, of course, essential, uh, to support the diversification of the rural economy. So some groups missed there, young people, families, childcare, the regions, uh, a range of issues. Uh, and they, that we summarize our comments on that on the back page on page 24 of our response. And with that, I hand you back to Colette for the next phase in this. Thank you very much. Um, so now we're going to move on to questions and comments. And I would just like to say a big thank you to those of you who are still with us um, and who have sent in your questions, both in the chat function on Zoom and in the Q&A, um, and also to those who have emailed us. Um, I feel like I'm about to launch a spaceship with this amount of technology in front of me. Um, so I better get cracking before I break something. Um, so I, I'd like to thank Anne Fitzpatrick, first of all. She has three questions and they're, and they're quite related in relation to, I suppose, poverty and, and inequality. Um, do the budget 2022 measures address or reduce poverty in any meaningful way? Um, can the 2022 budget, particularly considering the taxation measures, be considered a solidarity budget? Will it mean a levelling up for poorer people, children and families um, all considered? And will budget 2022 lessen, maintain or increase the inequality gap of uh, of income and wealth in Ireland. Um, I'll start and I'll, I'll, I'll hand it on over to colleagues. Um, you know, essentially, you know, does it address poverty or reduce poverty in any meaningful way? No. I mean, as Sean said, it hasn't created um, any sort of pathway, any real and meaningful strategy to actually addressing poverty. Um, we saw the government's roadmap to social inclusion published last year. Um, and, you know, when we did our analysis of that, our, our own analysis of the numbers involved um, saw that the same number of people 
uh, who were would be in poverty after the five-year strategy ended uh, was the same number as those who were in poverty in 2018. Um, in terms of what Budget 2022 has done, um, certainly through our own analysis of the, the welfare changes and the, the income tax changes, while very small things have changed, um, you know, we're not keeping up with benchmarking, we're not keeping up with cost of living, we're not keeping up with things like uh, rents and and um, utilities that, that have been in the, the public view for quite some time. Um, are there any others who might like to, to comment in relation to that? Certainly, I would say uh, our analysis would suggest that poverty will rise in 2022. Now, we won't have the numbers for that maybe until the end of late in 23 when the CSO produces its annual studies and, and on social inclusion and uh, living conditions in Ireland that produces the poverty numbers every year uh, but I would be quite convinced that given as Colette said given the kinds of initiatives that were and were not taken uh, in in budget that there is the overall result will see a rise in poverty which is a, a very sad situation in one of the richest nations in the world even though we have been hit by covid and hit by bank crashes and all sorts of other things we're still among uh, the richest number uh, countries in the world so having the level at 630,000 people living in poverty um very high proportion of those are children uh, that's simply not acceptable uh, in this point in the 21st century, uh, it's, it's the basic priorities that are required to put that in place are not being put in place. We don't have a real anti-poverty strategy. No, and just, I suppose, uh, this was heralded as a cost of living budget or a budget to deal with the cost of living, uh, yet social welfare rates aren't pinned to anything. We'd ask that they be benchmarked at 27.5% of average weekly earnings, which was the standard set in 2007. No progress there. That would have made real progress to the admittedly modest targets in the roadmap for social inclusion, but at least it would have put government on the path to make progress to actually reaching their own poverty targets. We didn't see that. I wouldn't necessarily consider it a, a solidarity budget in any way, shape or form. And you didn't see that investment in this, I suppose, the social infrastructure. As Sean said, poverty is not just about income, but it's always about income. But you didn't see the necessary investment in the, the social infrastructure and the services that would also support families and households who are, who are living in very challenging situations. Um, thank you for that. Um, John Carr, Ian Wexford, um, has a question in relation to the SME. So what is being done for the SMEs, uh, which is the largest employer in Ireland? Um, well, we saw when we, we talked through the, the, the work section within the document, there are some kind of, again, tinkering around the edges in relation to the, the SME sector. Um, there's been that extension of the employee wage subsidy scheme um, that will remain open to new employers up until January of this year. Um, you know, there has been the, the change in relation to the, the support around minimum wage, but essentially there hasn't been a, a huge amount to support um, smaller employers, uh, which is desperately needed again, you know, post pandemic. Um, moving on in relation to, oh, just uh, David Quinn has a comment that, that mirrors some of your own comments, Sean, in relation to the transparency of the budget, um, as well as the reduction of financial budget data, revenues, annual publication of income tax, USC statistical analysis, which usually takes place in late August, has not happened this year as yet, no explanation other than COVID. 
Don't bother do. <laughs> that is that is the the issue, and I mean a lot of the time. Yes, we were drawing numbers yesterday, like for example, from the revenue commissioners, who usually do a pretty good job in the, whatever they do produce, and and the same with the central statistics office. We use a lot of their material, but I think government itself is 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 quite. Um, uh, what would I call it? I, I uh, a term. I find a term that says basically they're not being as as. Uh, open as they need uh, could need to be i think and and could be and certainly uh, over and over again they seem to us um we can provide evidence to show that they're showing less than they used to in the past and i mean that's just unacceptable in this huge breakthrough in the into a digital world that we're all passing through at the moment and we have the the app we have the potential to access all sorts of data and information and while we're getting a load of stuff that isn't all that relevant and an enormous amount of rhetoric that isn't actually based on action and doesn't get an action doesn't follow from it um, we're not getting kind of basic essential information data that could be built on so i'd certainly suppose support david in, in his comments there um, and another actually very insightful comment from david in relation to the the tax allowances that there's no reform of the tax allowances arising from employer employer co pension contributions absolutely i mean as suzanne mentioned earlier on we have a, a growing and aging population and yet we have no real plan in place to put in that social infrastructure or to ensure that there is a an income above the poverty line in a sustainable way uh, we've advocated for for many many years and in fact we published a very comprehensive uh, publication in 2018 and then on the need to reform um the, the state social welfare pension and a huge part of that was in relation to to fixing that that gap to actually um you know standard rating the the pension and to, to close those loopholes um so so thank you for that comment um i have a question for michelle if i may in relation to sustainability so pat o'gorman asks uh, what is your response to the 360 million active travel when there is so much resistance to cycleways in the capital yeah, I mean, that is the challenge. So, you know, th there were some good announcements from the department and in the National Development Plan, but I mean, uh, I cycle myself and cycling through the capital can be pretty challenging. You've seen all, all the opposition, for example, to, to cycleways in certain parts of Dublin. You still have the opposition in, you know, or the challenges in terms of expanding our cycling and walking infrastructure across, across the country. So there doesn't necessarily seem to be a joined up approach to this sort of process. And then if you're looking at cycling, even outside of Dublin, which at least has cycle lanes, if we want to, you know, get people out of their cars, um, give people the opportunity to, to uh, for example, children in the, uh, living outside of Dublin in a, a rural town or village to cycle to school. I mean, it's simply not safe enough for them to do it. We don't have the infrastructure there. So I think, you know, these announcements are made, um, they look good in headlines, but then actually delivering on them is actually going to be quite challenging. So I think that's why you need the, the real joined up approach um to so if you're going to invest this money in cycling infrastructure well how exactly are you going to roll it out thank you um some again very insightful comments as you might expect from damon matthew wise um, and karen wise in relation to services and supports for people with disabilities um karen makes an excellent comment in relation to the operational protocols around the uncrpd and the fact that they still haven't been operationalized um for ireland and, and that insufficient investment has once again been made um a question for suzanne from damon anything about reinstatement of funding of charities and groups um 
I suppose generally might be a start, uh, but Damon's question is in particular to, to groups that are, are run by, made up of for people with disabilities. I suppose my honest answer is I, I haven't put my hand to anything particular with that. Um, that might be a case of we can go through the document there, but there doesn't seem to be, I mean, of, of the funding for kind of community and voluntary, um, there's sort of general monies allocated for community and voluntary sectors. Um, it probably would be important to say in that context that the money, you have to put it into a wider context, and I think Damon is and Karen are very aware of this actually, um, that we uh, saw a huge reduction in the money that was made available way back uh, at, after the crash in 2008-9 and that that money has not been restored on the scale that, to the scale that it was there prior to that so that therefore uh, anybody um, or sort of the, the the organizations that are depending on that funding uh, are kind of in a, di a difficult situation ever since and we're, it's probably the community voluntary sector is probably at this stage the only sector in society that hasn't got back, if you like, uh, the, the actual money that it sacrificed after the crash at that time. So I think that's the context within which what Suzanne is saying has to be put, because I don't think there's any evidence in the budget books that we, and we did, right, there's a lot of budget books here, yeah. <laughs> as you can see, yeah. uh, that, that were made available yesterday, uh, but I don't think there's any evidence there uh, that there's been an, an, an improvement. That doesn't say that there couldn't be an improvement because there's an enormous amount of stuff here that isn't detailed and there's mm -hmm. break, the breakdowns aren't there. And so we'd be looking to uh, the various departments, for example, particularly on disability, uh, because I think the, the funding for disability is a critically important issue. Um, government signs on for UN charters and UN positions and UN directives, but uh, it needs to follow through with action. I mean, the, the ministers themselves had some confusion yesterday about the allocation in relation to disabilities. There, were, there was talk of 105 million, 50 million, 65 million, 55 million. Um, and, you know, the, the real new allocation, including a 10 million allocation in relation to COVID as a once off is about 65 million. Um, but again, if the ministers who are negotiating these documents uh, are, are finding it confusing. Um, just also in relation to Sean's point about the the um, absolute decimation of funding for the sector. There was also some research done last year um, by the charities regulator in relation to fundraising. Um, so just outside the, the support from the state, but that suggested there was a half a billion of a loss in terms of fundraising for the sector. So there's there are huge losses to be made up there. Um, one for Michelle in relation to schools in rural areas and uh, this comes in from John Carr so I see schools in rural areas closing due to not enough children attending and some having two large classes so why do they not have all villages go to the local school and not keep to a school that they choose uh, this will keep smaller schools open and take the pressure off larger classes well, I suppose in terms of its uh, choice, in terms of where you send your child to school, and I think the challenge that a lot of rural areas have faced is that parents are travelling somewhere else to go to work and they take their child to school in the direction that they're travelling. It may not necessarily be the local school because they are going to another part of the county to work and their child goes with them. In terms of the, the longer term impact and the challenge that small rural schools face, particularly those who, who have lost teachers, 
that's one of the opportunities that um you know make re making remote work and our rural future could if you know implemented fully could really invigorate this and you would see a change in the in the 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 student intake for those schools but i suppose the the question is have you put in the, the supports and services to allow families to to settle in those areas y yes certainly there are more opportunities for families to uh, acquire a place for their child in school outside of a city but it's the other services that need to be put in place as well there's potential there um, but you know those small schools still face challenges and you know if if enrollment falls by one one or two or three students so over a year then that can have a huge impact on on your staffing schedule uh, thank you so much for that. Um, uh, someone else has come in, an anonymous attendee. Would a refundable tax credit be administratively burdensome, not only for the state, but for households? Wouldn't a direct cash payment to lower income households be better for poor people? Um, in terms of administration, you, there are refundable tax credits in existence. So there's an R&D tax credit in relation to the corporate sector. Uh, the budget yesterday introduced another one for the, the online gaming sector. Uh, um, so in terms of administration, there isn't anything, you know, stopping the, the government using similar systems that are currently in place in relation to actually um, refunding the tax credit that is there. Uh, what we are proposing in relation to the tax credit system um, is that it, it targets specifically low income workers who don't earn enough to use the whole of their current tax system. Absolutely would direct cash payments for lower income households. Um, in terms of welfare payments, that is also something that we, we have and continue to advocate for in relation to an increase um, in welfare rates to, to support that benchmark. So again, we expressed our disappointment that it was a fiver budget instead of actually making the move towards the benchmark as we proposed, which would have required a 10 euro increase in core social welfare rates. Um, Sean, you have I one have, on, on have, email I, as well. I have, I have a comment about it. I have another question here on the help to buy scheme. But the, um, just to make the point that there's a huge um, capacity now in the revenue to actually operate a refundable tax credit system since the system changed to a to, to, to sort of at the point where they know exactly where everybody's system is or where we are at any particular point. Um, the, and because of the technology, this is part of the technology breakthrough that we talked about earlier in other contexts uh, of, of the budget. And I think we have a situation there that there's um, they, they, they have the capacity to deliver refundable tax credits without any hassle whatsoever. On the help to buy scheme, a question here from um, from, from, from Tim O'Brien, and he's asking a simple thing. Why are you negative on the help to buy scheme? So, <laughs> Suzanne, want to take that? <laughs> I mean, we've, we've crunched the numbers. You know, we've done the analysis. It's on the website. Go look at it. Um, it has disproportionately benefited people who were already in a position to be able to buy a house and all it's done is allowed people who were already able to buy a house to buy a bigger more expensive house and i, I I'm, I'm always kind of struck by there was one line in housing for all which said bridging the gap between what a household can afford and the market value of the property and you're kind of going but surely if a household can only afford x y and z you know what I mean? Like that, that, that has to be the limit of what a household can actually afford as opposed to inflating or, or bringing in all these kind of artificial 
um, you know, aids and schemes. So it hasn't, it hasn't allowed, I suppose, you know, as you said, that, that huge tranche of people in, in that kind of low to middle income, it hasn't allowed young people, it hasn't really allowed people who ha were having difficulty accessing um, getting on the housing ladder, which um, even even using the word ladder presumes that you're constantly going up a rung. Um, so it, it hasn't it hasn't done what it was supposed to do, which was to allow access to those kind of to that middle tranche of people. Um, and, I, and again, I know um, the, the minister said yesterday that home ownership is a priority um, for the government, but um, not in you know you need to be looking at lowering the cost of housing. It needs to be that the price of housing needs to come down rather than putting in these sort of artificial wedges between what you can actually afford and what a house is valued yeah. at. I mean, if I, could, if I can just put in a comment in relation to that, when we did look at the numbers on this, as, as Suzanne said, we've done the analysis, it's there on the website. Um, when we looked at the numbers in relation to this, we compared it to the, the property price, price register, both for all properties and for new homes and in a comparison of of the price brackets for homes that have been bought with the assistance of the help to buy compared to new homes of you know all descriptions and all homes and um, they come out consistently within those higher price brackets so the proportion of homes that are bought and um, subsidized by help to buy are in those higher price bracket. So as Suzanne said, they're they're supplementing um, higher income households because in order to buy those houses, you need to have the, the higher income to support the higher mortgage. Um, so, you know, and, and really, again, as Suzanne said, we're supporting demand side to reach an artificial market price as opposed to looking at measures which we have proposed time and time again to to address the supply side affordability issues and um, to look at things like procurement to look at things like methodologies to look at things like new advances and um, in construction and actually really make that kind of a difference to drive prices down as opposed to artificially supplementing incomes upwards um if I can just ask, we have, I know we're running out of time, but we have two more questions. Well, one question, one comment, thank you. Uh, Andrew Rooney from Alone, um, is the increase in the fuel allowance adequate enough to alleviate the additional pressure households would experience due to the significant increases in energy prices and the carbon tax? Um, so I suppose in relation to, to the, the fuel lines and the, the carbon tax, what we would have advocated for was a ring fencing um, of carbon, carbon taxes and a move to a, a just transition program, a comprehensive just transition program. So that would include uh, things like retrofitting. It would include things like, um, you know, supporting additional grants in relation to, to warmer and more sustainable homes. Um, and that then in turn would reduce utility bills um, and, and make the overall um, uh, cost of living, I suppose, for older people um, a, a lot lower. So, you know, in, in answer to your question, the simple answer is no, I'm afraid. Um, but but certainly there, there there is more to be done there while we welcome the, the five euro increase in the fuel allowance. Um, and Paula Flanagan, then, is there one key message, Suzanne, um, we can bring to our communities to continue to challenge and advocate for all Irish citizens? So as our public participation network guru, <laughs> uh, what, what is the main takeaway to advocate for change? 
I think I think knowledge and communication, I think, would be the two key things. You know what I mean? Um, I mean, as, as Sean said, there's a lot in this. Um, it's available online. Even just sit down and look for keywords, you know, look for what you know what 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 your what your group is interested in is it mentioned is there supports here um I, yeah i think it's about knowledge i think it's about and then it's about communication com communicating that knowledge then i think within your communities and always learning very good i think we need to recognize that policy is being held is being made all the time not just on budget day now budget day is critically important because that's the day the resources are divided up 88 billion euro that's an awful lot of money and uh, even for a country the size of Ireland, that's a lot of money. Um, we don't think the budget is big enough because we are not going to be able to pay uh, for our to, to pay for the infrastructure and social housing, public transport, rural broadband, those kinds of things. We're not going to we we won't have enough income either to provide the services in at the level that we should have quality services in health, education, childcare, and so on. Um, so I think we have those kinds of challenges uh, but policy is actually being made at a national level and at a local authority level day in day out and the public participation networks play a key role in that and, and one one of the things that i think needs to be highlighted very strongly the government has a lot of rhetoric in its documentation all right about the need for well-being and a well-being framework there's a very good uh, document that has been produced by the Department of the Taoiseach with the help of the National Economic and Social Council, um, setting out a well-being framework going f uh, for the years ahead. However, it's, there's still some distance to go before th there could be a real claim that budget decisions and policy decisions generally are being made from a well-being perspective. And I think uh, public participation network participants are very aware of the importance of well-being. They've developed well-being statements and visions for their local authority areas right across the country. They are very powerful statements. I've read a lot of them. Suzanne has done a huge amount of work with them. Um, and uh, they, ha they are statements that show what is possible at a policy level at the local within local authorities. And I think we need a similar kind of national level initiative. So we need them to be taken seriously by the local authorities when they're making policy and making decisions throughout the year, not just on budget day. And then we need the government to be doing the same on budget day and in the rest of the policy throughout the year. Yeah, I think you you answered um, Councillor Carly Bailey's question in relation to does Budget 22 advance our position in relation to uh, the SDGs? And, you know, while the SDGs provide this very comprehensive, coherent policy framework across the 17 goals, um, you know, we, we've seen throughout this analysis document that there's, there's a huge amount of work still to be done. So small progresses, small changes, um, both at local and national level, but still a, a, a big way to go before we reach our 2030 goals. Um, and with that, I'm going to thank you all so much for your attention and for all of your questions. And I'm going to hand you back to Sean just to wrap us up um, for the day. So uh, I suppose I basically want to thank everybody. Uh, particularly, I want to thank on your behalf and on my own behalf, uh, Social Justice Ireland's budget team. They put in an enormous amount of work, some of them working as much as 17 hours yesterday to deliver this analysis this morning. 
Uh, we have a long track record going back to 1988 in, uh, of uh, analyzing and critiquing budgets on the morning after they're published. We continue that and the budget team today, uh, that, that last night and yesterday, that delivered the uh, outcome that we, we presented, um, uh, I think are, are, are due special thanks for the wonderful work that they did. I want to thank the Kairos team that ran the uh, production here this morning. Uh, they've done a terrific job for us under all sorts of technological challenges behind the scenes in the build-up. And we thank uh, the team very much. Kairos has done a great job in this context. Thirdly, I want to, to thank the Social Justice Ireland team right here. A team that I'm worthily proud of, okay? And particularly to you, our viewers um, throughout Ireland and beyond, who have been with us uh, throughout this hour and a half. Um, it's been good to be with you. It's good to fill you in. It's great to hear the questions and so many more maybe that we didn't get to, unfortunately. But we, we are out of time. Thank you uh, for being with us. All our stuff, all our analysis here and a whole lot more on all sorts of other things are on our website, socialjustice.ie. Uh, why not check it out sometime? And you might even, if you are not already, you might even join us, give us a bit of join us as a member, provide some support. We always welcome that as well. Anyway, thanks for being present today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Our publication, Budget 2022 Analysis and Critique, is available for download on our website, socialjustice.ie. As always, if you have any comments or questions or thoughts for our podcast, please do get in touch at secretary at socialjustice.ie. And until next time, stay safe.